Namaste. I'm Samir Kalra, Managing Director for Policy and Programs and Co-Legal Counsel at the Hindu American Foundation. I'm priv- privileged today to have Sundar Iyer with me here for a one-on-one conversation on CAST, Cisco, and SB403. Sundar is an Indian American tech entrepreneur and pioneer in Silicon Valley. He's also an avowed atheist, a former Cisco supervisor, and now one of my co-plaintiffs in HAF's civil rights lawsuit against the California Civil Rights Department. Welcome, Sundar. Yeah, thank you, Samir, for having me. It's a pleasure um, and uh, appreciate the, the open conversation. So Sundar, CAST has become a hot topic for many Americans, uh, particularly Californians over the past three years, thanks in large part to the infamous Cisco case, uh, of course, where you and your colleague Ramana Kompala were falsely accused of caste-based discrimination and harassment against an employee, John Doe. That case was spearheaded by the CRD, formerly known as the Department of Fair Employment and Housing, and the case was recently withdrawn against you and Romana. The case also unfortunately became a justification for a series of caste policies at major universities, the city of Seattle, and through proposed legislation that nearly passed in the state of California. Uh, Before we go back to the beginning to discuss how all this started at Cisco, we want to start with the recent news, of course, that um, California Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed SB 403, which was a bill that would have explicitly added caste to the definition of ancestry under the state's non-discrimination laws. If you can talk just briefly about the bill itself and what does the veto of this discriminatory piece of legislation mean for Indian American residents of California, but also for more more broadly for Californians at large? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Samir, to me, this has been a very personal journey, uh, mainly because uh, just to put the parts of SB 403 down, SB 403 was essentially based on three key aspects. First, um, there's a litigation aspect, there's an activism aspect, and there's a legislation aspect, right? The litigation aspect was, of course, the Cisco case, the central piece. And I was the primary manager named uh, in the Cisco case, on which I think almost 95 plus percent of all um, allegations are based on. Um, So this was very personal, to say the least. Second, um, of course, activism via Equality Labs. And We've been, um, uh, we have had a ringside and a, you know, very uh, firsthand view of the actions of that organization, uh, both during the Cisco case and, and even prior to that. Uh, and the last part, of course, was uh, the legislative piece uh, with Senator Bob's actions. Um, so my short view on SB 403 in terms of what the governor did, I mean, I know there's all sorts of people who, you know, talked all sorts of, you know, credit taking or political actions or God knows what. But in my view, and I I give you my honest take, I think there are some extremely ethical and rational actors, both in the governor and the attorney general's office. Uh, Because when I look at all three aspects of this, the Cisco case, um, the Equality Lab survey and their activism and Senator Wab's actions, if someone just took the time to understand a little bit of what's going on and ask critical questions on all three, uh, you would probably end up with the same actions as what the governor's office did. So I'd like to think in, um, in, in my view that they took a fair and ethical decision. Now, you referenced, of course, the litigation aspect of that and um, SB 403, which was spearheaded by first time a senator who um, not ironically is in one of the largest districts of Indian Americans in Fremont um, and kind of those those areas of the Bay Area, um, justified often her uh, need for this piece of legislation, SB 403, or the need to have explicit protections for caste-based discrimination on the case, the only case that has been litigated on caste-based discrimination, of course, a Cisco case. So seeing that that was kind of ground zero, if you will, um, for all of this, um, all of these policies and particularly SB 403, talk to us a little bit about how that all started. Um, You know, what was your role in Cisco, your and your colleague Ramana's you know, how did this group that you were part of there get formed where the John, where John Doe was a part of, and what led to the accusations? And from there, how did that kind of snowball into actual uh, uh, lawsuit by the uh, CRD or Fair Department of Fair Employment and Housing and these individual and individual John Doe? Sure. Yeah. So um, essentially, you're asking me about the first part of the three pillars of SB 403, right, which is the Cisco case. So 
the 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 quick and dirty summary, if you will, is so I've been a tech entrepreneur for almost twenty plus years in the Bay Area, and I started uh, this last uh, company uh, funded by Cisco. So we're sort of what is called a Cisco internal startup. Um, Cisco completely funded the whole startup, and I went and hired uh, whom we were uh, a classmate of mine, whom we will call John Doe, uh, because he asked for anonymity in his in his lawsuit. So John Doe is a classmate of mine for more than you know I've known him for more than twenty plus years. We've been friends. We've been to each other's homes. I recruited him. I gave him a fantastic package in the millions of dollars, um, and a year down the line, he doesn't. Um, get the head of engineering position, which is one of the three leadership positions in my group. Um, and uh, I mean, three leadership positions over a period of two years. So when he didn't get this position, he goes ahead, he makes the complaint um, and spends about two years making several more complaints within the group, um, eventually leading to um, he going to the, what was then known as the DFEH and today known as the CRD, the Civil Rights Department, um, claiming that I discriminated against him based on his caste, um, where John Doe self-identified himself as a Dalit, and Dalit being what they define as the lowest caste. <laughs> so that's the backstory of uh, how this all started. And uh, this, he spent almost two years with the CRD that you know did a subpoena, some investigations. Uh, asked us, you know, some a bunch of HR records and stuff. And two years later, between 2018 to 2020, uh, they go ahead and file a lawsuit claiming caste discrimination on behalf of John Doe. Right. So that's just the the quick summary of the what happened. Now, what's more interesting, and I'll give you a few snippets about the case that um, should be extremely concerning. Um, when the CRD approached us and said, oh, they're suing on behalf of John Doe, we said, what, what are your main claims based on? They said he didn't get the head of engineering position. We pointed out that John Doe has never applied for the position. Right? This is a position that was open for several months. Um, everybody was welcome to apply. He didn't. If you read the Cisco code documents, Cisco tells you that he didn't even show an interest in wanting that position. Right? Um, just two things off the bat, if you will. Um, we also pointed out to the CRD that the position that John Doe claims discrimination for, because he's a Dalit, was actually given to another senior colleague of mine who was also Dalit, right? Who self-identified as Dalit. Now, this, this senior Dalit colleague of mine is a brilliant guy. I've known him for 25 years. I've co-founded companies with him. Uh, prolific, hardworking, and just you know, extremely knowledgeable and experienced person. Uh, why did I give him those that position? Because he was the best person for the job, right? And you know, the CRD couldn't care less. Uh, what was even worse is we pointed out to the CRD that every top leadership position in the group was first awarded to this other senior Dalit colleague of mine. So in a nutshell, just to wrap up, there's a lot to unravel on the Cisco case, but just to wrap up the main thing, the CRD is suing probably the one startup in Silicon Valley where I, the CEO, has given away every top leadership position to another Dalit colleague of mine. And so we're getting sued for Dalit discrimination. That's, it's a piece of evidence that the CRD hid, critical material evidence that they hid from the judge hit from the activists, hit from the press, and went to court with it. Well, that looks like a pretty big oversight, um, to say the least. Uh, you know, just in terms of unraveling that a little bit, um, the claim was that he was uh, passed over for a position that he didn't apply for. But what was the evidence or the facts that were presented to show that that, was, that decision or quote-unquote alleged decision was based on caste? What, 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 were, was, what was the CRD trying to say or John Doe trying to say, and how do they actually present that cast even played a factor in that? So, I mean, the short answer is they've never presented any, any, any reason for why cast would have even played a factor. 
in fact, in all of the HR records, all of the emails, text messages, information, no one has ever mentioned John Doe's cast, you know, let alone me, right? Now, something that's interesting I'd like to point out, what the CRD claimed is that I mentioned that John Doe was not on the main list at the Indian Institute of Technology. So just to give you some context, um, John Doe and I both went to the IITs or the Indian Institute of Technology in India. Uh, he, of course, being my classmate. And when John Doe came for an interview, because I went and solicited him, I hired him. He sent in his resume. He came in for an interview over two different days. And in the aftermath of that interview, one of my colleagues asked me John Doe's IIT rank or his rank in the Indian Institute of Technology because he had a resume and he said uh, he, yeah, he was in the, in the, in the department in, at an IIT. I answered the question honestly and truthfully. So John Doe was not on the main list. I moved the conversation. I was tactful about it. I was empathetic about it, while at the same time speaking the truth. Right, And there's a lot more there. On that very same day, I recruited him. I gave him millions of dollars in equity. And remember, I was the CEO. So I had actually given away all of my equity to my employees. Literally, my stock compensation in this company was zero. And John Doe made several millions of dollars, also partly because I gave away mine as CEO. So done a series of good actions towards John Doe, both empathetic, um, forceful in helping him. I have recruited for him. I have given him several leadership positions, lead opportunities after he came for interview. I have um, gone ahead and you know done his architectural stuff for him. I have pointed out his bugs for him. I have given him resources. Uh, there's a whole litany of things that of course I've done for him. And over one year of HR complaints on him, I have fended off to try to defend him and help him grow. It is that John Doe that the CRD takes my honest remark. You know, I have to honestly answer a question about a candidate's resume. And the CRD uses that remark of mine to say that I was casteist towards John Doe. In short, to put this in a, in a simple soundbite, the state of California is suing me because I spoke the truth. And a truth that in no way impacted your decision to actually hire him. So there was nothing that was actually tied because tie, uh, tied to that because then you went ahead and recruited him. So you know, obviously in the in the lawsuit that the CRD filed, they made a lot of other claims, um, many xenophobic, racist, very bigoted statements about Indian Americans about your group, um, which involved I think about forty to fifty people, if I'm not mistaken, um, right. and were, was a diverse group to the best of my knowledge, but. The way that the CRD made it sound was that this group was rife with discrimination. It was a caste hierarchy that was involved there um, and basically making the broad sweeping claim that because there were many Indian Americans uh, that they were bringing, um, importing a caste system from India, from South Asia. Comments, of course, that would not be tolerated if it were made about any other minority group in America. But can you right. talk a little bit about some of the CRD's um, basically claims around the entire group there and, and what they were trying to say was the environment that existed um, in your group in Cisco? Yeah, I would literally have to talk a little bit on that, Samit, because if you wanted me to talk on this, I would say, do you have 24 hours? Because that's <laughs> how long it would take to go through this. But there, it, there is so much in this case. But I'll just hit upon a few key aspects for today to keep this brief and short. The very first thing I wanted to point out is the CRD, first of all, uh, in, in order to make a caste discrimination case, they had to define caste. So what do they do? Well, they first pick up their favorite punching bag, also known in your quarters as Hinduism, and uh, they go at it. They go ahead and define caste as part of a strict Hindu hierarchy. Well, and then they do a lot more than that, and we'll get into why the state, of course, cannot uh, interfere in religion based on the First Amendment. But here's a fundamental question I have for Kevin Kish, if he's listening, who's the head of the CRD. 
if I am the atheist that you know I am, if I am the irreligious person for essentially all of my adult life, and you wanted to go after me, why do you have to bring the religion of my ancestors into this case? What business does Hinduism even have in this case when the primary manager on whom you want to put shitload of your allegations on is not even Hindu? That of the bat is an absolutely shameful action on part of the CRD, right? And remember that the CRD interviewed me for all their gross negligence and dereliction of duty in that short 15-minute interview most of which was spent on rank and file questions, they asked me my religion. Not only did I answer the question, I pointed them to my webpage from my graduate school days, which shows that I've essentially been irreligious all my life. They know it. They deliberately went ahead, called me Hindu by assigning me a Brahmin caste, a Hindu Brahmin caste, and then went after Hindus. Right? So first of all, you know, just to peel it, you you pick up on Hinduism by forcing it into the lawsuit. That's what they did. Then they forced assign me uh, a caste, and they call me a Brahmin. After defining caste as a strict Hindu religious hierarchy, so basically they've called me Hindu. They've assigned me a caste, both of which are against my First Amendment rights. Right. So that's just off the bat. Um, and then, you know, there's many things they did. So let me just give you the top level sprinkling of what they did. There's a whole section where they speculate about Hinduism itself, you know, which caste is higher, lower, blah, blah, blah. Then there's a whole section where they make comparisons of Hinduism with other religions, Buddhism, Sikhism, and Jainism. That's bad enough. Then they assign castes to my other colleague, Ramana Kampela, who was also named in the case. Um, and then they assign caste to all of my employees. They call them all upper caste. Um, and we'll go into details of this in a, hopefully a later conversation. But that's just the first level, right? There's four or five different attack vectors on, you know, First, first Amendment issues, defining Hinduism, then looking into the details of Hinduism, uh, assigning people religion and caste, then comparing these sort of caste castes, if you will, um, and then scattershotting that attack vector across all of my coworkers, right? So there's a whole group of things that they did. Now, what did they do next? After all of this scene setting, they then say that Indians, this is upper caste Indians, are so bigoted that they bring their caste system and practices from India to America, right? So you've gone from making claims about Hindus and Hinduism to now a three-pronged attack. What's the three-pronged attack? First, they spent time giving statistics about crimes against Dalits in India. Right? Then, first showing that upper caste Hindus and Indians are violent in India. Second, they then say they carried these attitudes into the United States. And they, they say that essentially of all of my coworkers, all, you know, 40, 50 coworkers of mine were so bigoted, they carried this into the United States. And then starts the third prong of attack, which we'll go into in a bit more in detail, which is all of the statistics in the United States itself about Hindu and Indian Americans, right? So just to peel this, this is sort of three-pronged attack, independent of all the scene setting that they did. Um, and then I wanted to come back to your particular question, which is in terms of all the xenophobic and racist comments. So independent of throwing all of this, they even took the time to literally name and shame individual attitudes of Indian Americans. Let me give you a quick glimpse, right? Since you asked me about the xenophobic comments. The CRD claims that, uh, first of all, upper caste Indians are overrepresented at Cisco. Okay, I didn't realize that merit is a crime, but according to the CRD, it is. Second, um, they refer to upper caste Indians as dominant caste, right? Then they use the oppressor versus oppressed terminology in the lawsuit. Then they say that upper caste Indians think that they're biologically superior. Just a random smear from God knows where, right? Evidence, zero. 
everything is anecdotal or just a direct smear. Then, after all these four smears, they uh, put in like a bunch of declarations where they generalize attitudes on Indian managers. So the state claims that um, basically um, uh, th there's a claim that says life is a living hell working under Indian managers. This is a claim by the state, right? Uh, there's a litany of these. There are about six independent statements that I myself saw in, in the lawsuit about Indians, upper caste Indians and upper caste Indian Americans. Um, so that's just a quick example of just the xenophobic comments uh, on both Hindu and Indian Americans. You know, if I was to kind of take myself out of kind of being knee deep in a lot of this work from an advocacy and a legal perspective, of course, you touched on a lot of the First Amendment and constitutional concerns with what the CRD did. But if I were to look back at the trajectory of everything that happened, um, basically looking at how the case transpired and looking at the timing of the media blitz around the case, uh, where we saw a proliferation of articles around it. And then in quick succession, we saw a number of policies being adopted or legislation being proposed soon after that. In the legal world, there's a term where you look at something as a test case because you want to either push an agenda, push an issue, or you want to test the legal merits of something that's already in existence. To me, if I were to look at this, it seems like this was almost like a setup, like it was a test case because they had so many things that were seemed to be lined up and so many things that prior to the case coming up happened. And after the case, um, you know, actually started happening after that. Is there, I mean, from your view, how do you look at how things happened? And, you know, obviously, you know, you were in the midst of it and your name was, you know, out there in media articles, one after another. I mean, do you, given the lack of evidence, the lack of factual basis combined with how Indian Americans more broadly and then Hindus and Hinduism more specifically were talked about in this case, do you see this, that this was something that was a test case um, and this was something that was, you know, pre-planned in a way, um, in a sense? I mean, you know, let me let me put this in context first. You know, I have never been a conspiracy theorist, right? I've, I've always been the sort of, you know, rational, deeply rational. I wait for information data. I refuse to believe things till I have, you know, uh, so much evidence that I understand what's going on. And I've also had a very interesting view to life uh, in my adult life, at least, which is every five years you go through life and you come across an epiphany that you will only realize when you've gone through those five years. No one can actually tell you or teach you that. Right. So never in my, under any probability, did I, did I ever think I would go through this epiphany that you have a state agency, the CRD, which acts with, of course, an activist organization, which then acts, I mean, it's not just these two agencies, working with legacy media, working with activists, working with academics who pretend that, you know, they're fair and neutral. The nexus, and of course, now with the legislature and Senator Wahab's actions, it is, to me, it would have been incomprehensible five years back if, you know, someone told me this is what would come out. Um, so now, Answering a specific question, was this a test case? Almost definitely. I mean, it's pretty clear that the CRD through litigation and equality labs through activism, uh, both were working in cahoots for the same goal, which is to make caste a protected category. And of course, the reason I know that is just from so much firsthand information. What you see today from uh, the public lawsuit or what I'm telling you today is the tip of the tip of the iceberg. Or if you want a better analogy, it's a cherry on top of the tip of the tip of the iceberg, right? Um, but uh, we've seen so much, and there are things, of course, I can't even talk about because they are under mediation confidentiality and things like that, um, that we know the actions. In fact, when we filed a motion to sanction the CRD back in January of 2023, we, we literally said, you filed a case with no legal or factual basis, and you've done this for an improper purpose. And those are specifically our words in the lawsuit. Um, so the short answer to your question is absolutely. Um, they've been working in cahoots. 
And of course, their footprints are all over the lawsuit and the declarations, um, both the quality labs working very closely with uh, the CRD. And, you know, what struck me as, you know, we were initially when we initially saw, you know, the papers in the lawsuit. And of course, we hadn't at that time talked to you or known what we know now or what's out in the public domain. But it struck me that there was a certain level of arrogance that it seemed like the CRD was operating with in how they um, wrote you know, the, the, they, they wrote the complaint and the type of information that they put there. And that of course became the basis for two legal actions by HAF. The first was a motion to intervene where we were simply trying to get, enter into the case, um, because we felt that the, uh, we strongly believe that the constitutional rights of Hindu Americans were being violated for what you had referenced in terms of the first amendment prohibition on defining or even entering into the space of religion, uh, whether that's on a positive or negative side. Um, and of course, in that case, the, C, uh, the CRD had tried to define Hinduism as being inherently casteist and mandating, religiously mand- and legally mandating a caste system. Um, and then, of course, we had the federal 1980, Section 1983 civil rights claim, which is still ongoing, um, where we expanded the scope of our action um, against uh, the CRD and filed a uh, um, a, an open lawsuit against them and which you recently joined as well, um, along with other plaintiffs, including myself, um, as a resident of California. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about why it's important from a, just a civil rights perspective? Of course, you had your own, um, you know, personal, um, involvement in the initial Cisco action, but now if we're, you know, looking at what, you know, HAF is doing in terms of this civil rights lawsuit against the CRD, why it's important from the perspective of protecting the constitutional rights of not just, you know, me as a Hindu American, but you as an Indian American atheist um, and what was done to you and Ramana um, in the, you know, in, in, as this case transpired, can you talk a little bit about that just from a constitutional and civil rights perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to put this in context, the reason I'm entering this and, you know, joined you folks in the lawsuit, and of course, a lot of other things that you know I'm now getting myself busy with is this is not even a fight for Hindu Americans or even Indian Americans. It is a fight for all Californians. The actions of the Civil Rights Department, right, are, how do I put this? Okay, in fact, rather than give you one word, I'm going to give you four words, right? Because you use the word arrogant. Let me give you four more Floors of a skyscraper, much higher than arrogant. Higher than arrogant is what we already filed with the motion for sanctions, which is behavior that is improper without a legal and factual basis. That's a legal term. What's worse than that? Gross negligence. And we'll go into the number of things they have done in the lawsuit that that are grossly negligent. What's worse than that is their behavior has shown a reckless indifference to the truth. There are claims that the CRD has made, including basic things like dates that they have, uh, you know, essentially fabricated, are facts that are fabricated. They say, my team is entirely Indian. Well, they've been given the whole set of people who work under me, not just even my employees. I've had consultants. I've had outsourced, insourced teams um, all working under me. Our group was 45 to 50 employees, but we had grown to almost 80 to 90 people working under me. They come from all ethnicities. It's not entirely Indian. They know that. So that is a reckless indifference to the truth. And there are many such things they have done, which is a reckless indifference to the truth. Worse than that is perjury. right? And I believe the CRD has committed both perjury and a subordination of perjury. right? And I'll give you one more floor about these four. The reason why I'm fighting this, the fight with the CRD. It's what I call... It's almost like a moral turpitude. You do actions that are just so morally wrong. I'll give you one example. The CRD has a salary discrimination claim against Cisco and an accusation against me that John Doe had low pay. Let's just put that in context. John Doe claims he didn't get a salary increment in October of 2016. That's a few thousands of dollars of a salary increment, annual salary increment, right? Just from public records alone, it's clear that John Doe made several millions of dollars. And I'm the CEO who's given away all of that equity, right? 
when we told the CRD, I think more than seven or eight times in the last three years, like you do not, actually in the last five years, because before they filed the case, even during mediation and before that, we beseeched the CRD, which is, do you really want to sue us for this thing? Right? When I've given away so much, right? And that's just from the public facts, I'm letting you know. When you give, when, even when those private facts come out of the things we did, even to assuage his salary discrimination complaint and what the CRD has hid, you will see the moral turpitude in that claim. So why am I fighting this? It's not just for me. I mean, I'm already roadkill. It's okay. It's life. You know, we'll deal with it. We'll come back to that. It's not just for Hindu Americans. It's not just for Indian Americans. It's for all Californians. Um, and in the end, remember, the, the company that I did at Cisco was codenamed for the truth, right? And the reason I codenamed that is because, you know, the truth is easily exaggerated, grossly abused, and weaponized for, for, you know, people's own purposes. And that's what the CRD has done. And that's what the CRD is doing in not just my case, in multiple other cases. So I'm going to end this question with one small snippet, which is if Mr. Kevin Kish is listening, I'd just like him to know, I am not your enemy. I am not the CRD's enemy. I've only come here and I'm going to speak the truth forcefully. If you are on the side of the truth, you and your department will come out unblemished. But if you're not on the side of the truth, which I believe I know, and we have factual evidence that you're not on the side of the truth, then you will face whatever consequences someone who's untruthful is. And so I just hope there are people in governance, whether it be the governor, the attorney general, or anyone with a moral, uh, you know, moral courage to stand up for the truth. And, you know, um, mentioning what you did about, you know, the CRD's actions, if SB 403 had actually been signed into law, the CRD would have been the same enforcement and implementation agency. And given this track record of what happened in just one case, and I believe that there have been other complaints against the CRD about how they have, um, you know, um, uh, prosecuted or pursued other actions as well. How can a community or even anybody in California feel that they are going to actually enforce the law in an, uh, in an unbiased and neutral manner. Um, and so you have a law on the one hand that is biased in and of itself, and then you have an enforcement agency that's going to be tasked with implementing it. That has already shown not just a, you know, a reckless disregard for the truth, but also a bias against one entire segment of the population using racist, xenophobic, and religiously bigoted terms. And now we're supposed to put our hand, um, our faith in the hands of an agency like that. So, you know, just talk about that aspect of it, that, you know, kind of bringing SB 403 back full circle here that, you know, they're an implementing agency. Um, what would we have seen if SB 403 had been signed into law and, you know, the uh, CRD would have been tasked with implementing it? Yeah, uh, great question. And this is what I wanted to tell people because, you know, on the whole, lawsuits are rare, right? So we actually don't go through one. Most people have never gone through one. And this has been my biggest realization, which is, you know, you think the, the primary variable for a lawsuit in California today, especially from the CRD, has now become not the actions of the defendant. It's the insistence of the plaintiff and the need to go and, you know, get political power, right? That's essentially what the CRD is doing. Everyone is vulnerable to a lawsuit. And I don't even have to look at what's happening in civil laws. Look at PAGA, uh, which is sort of a different law. We'll, we'll go into that separately. And what it has done to California industries. It's decimating industries. So, I mean, we have a much bigger problem with governance in California. We'll, we'll come to that. But in terms of the CRD, uh, let's peel uh, two different aspects of it. The CRD itself and Senator Wahab's actions. I'll start with Senator Wahab because she started this whole thing on SB 403. When I look at what Senator Wahab did with SB 403, there are many of her actions, you know, uh, going from her lack of, you know, giving due process to Indian Americans, uh, adding caste on the last day of the bill, right? And there's a whole sequence. I don't even have time to go into it, but we can, we can go into that in a whole session if you like. But there's a couple things that she did I want to focus on. She first use the Cisco case as proof, as evidence. 
in the Senate Judiciary meeting, right? Or when she went to the Senate. You have a senator who's willing to throw her own constituents under the bus, right? There are many Cisco co-workers who live in her constituency. She wants to use allegations as facts, throw them under the bus to push her own bill. How morally wrong and unethical is that, right? I don't know. I gave you five floors of unethicality. <laughs> Pick any. And I still have ask the question to Senator Wahab, you know, what gives you the right to do that? Worse than that, despite her knowing, I mean, first of all, that she shouldn't be doing that. She was also told about the motion to sanctions and the facts of the case. What does she do? She wants the same CRD that is assigned cast to all of my coworkers, that has violated my First Amendment rights blatantly, and a lot more, that has treated Indian Americans like cannon fodder, for God's sake. She wants the same CRD to litigate caste. Till the last day, I think till the, or, or forever, till the bill was vetoed, she never got off that horse of hers. There were organizations that wrote to her. In fact, if I remember right, there's an organization called the California for Justice. Uh, in fact, that came from a lot of grassroots engineers, many from Cisco too. They wrote to her, they've written more than two sets, I think, uh, of requests asking for safeguards in SP 403. More than 300 of her constituents have asked, um, you know, hey, uh, you know, the, the CRD is assigning caste. I mean, do you want to you know, do something about this? You're going to send the same ethnicity to the CRD. How wrong is that? She couldn't care less. So you have unethical behavior on part of a legislature. And if Senator Wahab is listening, I want to say the same thing. I'm not against you. I stand for the truth and ethics. If you believe your actions are ethical, good luck to you and all power to you. If you believe they're not ethical, as many things you have done, you will face the consequences of not being truthful. I am only a messenger. Thank you very much. Going back to your question, coming to the CRD, what effect will it have if the CRD was weaponized with SB 403? I think it would be horrendous. And the reason I say this is because you have an organization with a reckless indifference to the truth, which means any Indian, anywhere, any South Asian is suspect for no fault of her or his, right? I mean, take my case. If you want to go after a manager for bigotry who has given every position to a Dalit, what happens to another manager who cannot use that as their defense, right? Um, so what I realized is if they can go after me with these set of facts, they can go after anybody. Right? And so uh, that's one of the reasons I stepped in because um, the pain that other Indian Americans will go through will be unparalleled, right? And I've also mentioned this in a previous um, um, conference, if I'm not wrong, what the CRD is doing especially when they name and shame defendants, when they go to the press, when they threaten, bully, and harass them. There are things I can't even say because they're under mediation confidentiality. And then using the activists and all of the, you know, Twitter storms and activist literature that they write, it will result in the death of an innocent American manager. It may not be because of caste, it could be anything. That's the way the CRD operates is they are not even aware of how unethical they behave. Uh, or maybe they are, maybe they're malevolent too. I don't know. I'm not putting words in their mouth in terms of subjective words, but I know their objective behavior. And so this would have been a disaster for the Indian community. Uh, but more importantly, it'd be a disaster for Californians in terms of strengthening the hand of an organization that truly needs to be shown the truth. No, absolutely. And I think you raise an important point there in that it's these actions dehumanize people, individuals, communities with these broad sweeping allegations. And when people are dehumanized, then all sorts of actions against them become justified, whether that's violence, whether that's hate crimes, hate speech, yep. harassment, you name it. This is how things start, right? It's a dehumanization by saying this group of people are castes, they're like this, they're like that. Therefore, anything that happens to them then becomes acceptable and justified. Um, and we've seen that throughout history with so many different uh, communities and populations that that's almost a roadmap. Uh, it starts with a dehumanization and it ends up with much worse things happening. Yeah. And in fact, talking about dehumanize, I want to point out something which is 
keeping aside the the case and the facts of the case itself for a moment, there's so much bad there. We can come back to that. They made a series of claims against Indian Americans and upper caste Hindu Americans in general, which is what? They racially targeted and profiled all of us. What did they say? They said roughly 26% of all Dalits, which could be anywhere between 10 to 40,000 Dalit Americans, have been physically assaulted or raped by upper caste Indian or Hindu Americans in America simply because we knew of their caste. Right? Simply because Indian Americans knew of their caste. That's a claim that they repeated over four or five times in court motions. Right? That's a heinous claim on Indian Americans, right? You're accusing us of 40,000 assaults and rapes of, of Dalits, right? With no proof whatsoever. They can't produce a single police record or evidence. Right? And remember, this is from an Equality Lab survey in 2016, right? So you should be seeing 40,000 such incidents in the last maybe eight to 10 years at, at the most, right? The judge threw all of this stuff out, right? You had a sort of no-nonsense judge who said, this is nonsense. I mean, you first of all, you have a Equality Lab survey that is so unscientific. Let's not even go into that. That's a whole, you know, a short story on its own. I'm sorry, that's a whole novel on its own. We'll come back. <laughs> but... But assuming that claim is true and the judge throwing it out, you have no police records or evidence. What does the CRD do? And I want to talk about your dehumanization word. They go to appeals court. What do they do in appeals court? They push the same survey back. Okay. Is that bad enough? No, the CRD is not yet done. They were just getting started, right? They throw in more allegations. Upper caste Indians spit and attack Dalit Americans simply because their caste is known in some random press report, which is a random anecdote from God knows where, and make another generalization of Indian Americans. So now we are spitting, we are raping, we're physically assaulting, we're attacking Dalit Americans. Right? This not only dehumanizes upper caste Indian Americans, but actually in my conversations with you know, Dalit Americans, they said, this dehumanizes us too. They think that 40,000 of us you know, are being spat upon, raped and attacked, and we can't file a single police, credible police complaint. I mean, what do they think we are? We are victims who can't speak English. We are illiterate. I mean, there's such a level of gross, you know, dehumanization. That's extremely concerning. And let's put this again in context. Till today, Ramana and I are out of the case. The CRD has not gotten rid of their claims. They're still suing Cisco. We have an anonymity motion coming up in about a month's time, and all of their claims and dehumanization of Indian Americans is still active in the court of law. And I think that makes our own uh, lawsuit all the more important against the CRD uh, to hold them accountable for these actions and the multitude of civil rights violations that they have committed um, and constitutional violations. You know, um, I think, Sundar, we have... There's so many questions I want to ask you. We're not going to have enough time to go over it, all of it today. We're definitely going to have, I think, you on again, because I think each time you say something, there's a hundred questions that I want to ask of you. But I think one thing I do want to get to um, before we wrap up today is that, you know, when we were going through the process of meeting with legislators around SB 403 and even statements that were made by some legislators in committee hearings, well, it, they almost didn't care what happened with SB 403 because they said, oh, well, you know, the courts will work it out. Or they said that, well, if somebody is not guilty of something, then, you know, they shouldn't be worried about having legal, legal action, you know, uh, being pursued against them. And, you know, that obviously is, first of all, again, I think gross negligence as a legislator to be thinking in those terms that not thinking about the actual merits of the legislation that you are tasked with either reviewing or moving forward or not moving forward. But it also, again, it dehumanizes people and it fails to acknowledge the personal trauma and everything that people go through, through false accusations. So if you can just talk a little bit about the personal toll that this whole case has taken on you and Ramana um, over the years. I mean, it's we obviously saw it in terms of when the actual uh, filing happened, which was about three years ago, but I'm sure that a lot of things were happening even before that. Um, just talk a little bit about how that impacted your life on a personal level. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, so I'll answer both those things, the personal side of things and the legislator question that you that you mentioned. But coming to the personal side, look, I grew up in Bombay and uh, and different parts of India, including rural India for four, three to four months of every year of my childhood. And the one good thing was I toughened up a lot. You learn a lot from the street kids, right? And uh, life isn't easy. And that's one of the beautiful aspects of life in India, right? India teaches you, uh, it gave me opportunity and it gave me adversity. So I had toughened up to a large extent. However, uh, and I've always been someone who's given strength to other people, right? You're leading things, you're running companies, you're doing things for others. Nothing had made me ready for what the CRD, that dehumanization, that bullying, the work of equality labs, then Moe's own sort of pushing allegations as facts, you know, my name goes everywhere, books, articles, opinion pieces, news articles, because at some point, opinion simply becomes news. Uh, and of course, you know, the great academics, you know, thank you, Harvard, very much, um, for the way they push the narrative, right? And of course, Twitter, I've seen tons of hateful, terrible comments. Nothing makes you ready for that. While I am proud to come out of it in a strong way and say, hey, you know, life gives you lemons, let's make lemonade and let's do something better with it. I've reached that stage today where I said, I've gone through a journey that hopefully allows me to solve a bigger problem and we will solve that, right? But there were extremely hard years. I mean, there were three, at least three to four years in the interim, including just before the uh, lawsuit was filed, but I was waking up four or five times a week at two in the morning, four in the morning, 3.30 with a cold sweat. And that anxiety is even worse, not just because somebody is saying bad things about you on the internet. That's bad enough. It is even worse because you realize that with a state agency that is such a reckless disregard for the truth, can they actually pull it off? Can they actually push the lie so much and, you know, make the color blue look green, right? That's the anxiety that goes through when you deal with the state agency, right? So it was very tough, to say the least. And look, I may be out of the case, but they're still suing Cisco. I'm still an agent of Cisco. And the CRD will not rest till they win. They care about winning more than they care about the truth. And that, to me, is an extremely sad day in America, right? So that's that's the personal uh, stress, if you will. And you should talk to Ramana too, because he, he in fact even had to leave Cisco and I did the same. I left my job at the best years of my life to distance myself from John Doe, even before the CRD got involved, right? Um, so there's a lot of hardship and pain that goes through when you're a defendant and you're attacked mercilessly. Who will come to that? Let me also touch upon <coughs> the question you asked about legislatures, right? I'll take one instance because there's so much to, to peel here. Um, Ash Kalra. Ash Kalra is the only Hindu legislature. Uh, I don't care about identity. Maybe he does, right? He is also the head of the progressives. Great. Good luck. All power to him. I talk to him. And when I approach people, I'm not talking about the end goal, about how Mr. Ash Kalra is going to vote one way or the other. I'm talking about the process. Right? Are you logical? Are you fair? Are you ethical? Blah, blah, blah. I spent about 45 minutes with Ashkar mentioning to him about the Cisco case, the CRD, and then I followed up with information, data. I wrote him a letter, things of that sort. It was shocking to me the way he goes about things. Right? You would want somebody to be extremely involved. I told him, your own community of Hindu Americans and our community of Indian Americans is being railroaded. You've had cast assigned to 50 people. Do you want to do something about it? Um, you have uh, the, the community being accused of 10 to 40,000 physical assaults and rapes. Are you going to ask a single question about this? Right? These are the things I care about. Not one legislature in the Judiciary Committee, some of them whom we talked to, stood up and asked the most basic questions about equality lapse surveys. Right? In fact, I had two progressives uh, thank you if you're listening, staffers who told me that, you know, I, I said, you're going to let a survey like this through without asking a single critical question. They said, yeah, but, you know, it's okay. I said, well, that's 10 to 40,000 assaults and rapes. 
that you're accusing the community of. Is that okay? Is that not racial profiling? Their answer is that they have lower standards of evidence in the legislation. So when you have a system that's so bad, obviously we've got to fix it, right? The system is broken at many, many different levels. But I do want to say a shout out to the governor's office and, you know, hopefully some of the folks in the attorney general's office. Uh, there are a few ethical people. And of course, there are ethical people in the legislators too, some who stood up. In the end, it's not about how they vote. See, people can make a good or a bad vote. And sometimes people vote wrongly by mistake. They're not fully aware or whatever. But what you want to see is ethics, empathy, and logical thinking, and skeptical thinking. When you have legislators for, who, for political reasons, shirk their responsibility for the process that's a very sad day in America. I think with those words, we're going to end our session for today. But thank you so much, Sundar, for joining us. A lot more to unpack in future conversations, which we're definitely going to invite you back for. But thank you so much for your courage, your moral courage to take on the CRD, uh, to fight SB 403. And of course, for joining HF's lawsuit um, in making sure that the civil rights of all Indian Americans and Hindu Americans and Californians more broadly are protected. Thank you so much, Sundar. Thank you so much, Samir. Yeah, pleasure getting to know you. Well, that's it for this episode of That's So Hindu. If you enjoyed it, please take a minute and leave us a nice five-star review. It's how you can help the show get discovered by more listeners. You can help ensure that more of these get made by making a donation to HAF at hinduamerican.org slash donate. Thanks again for listening.